Well, hi, everybody. It is such a privilege and a joy to be speaking to you at City Church uh, Bristol this Sunday. Uh, my name is Joel Virgo. I am speaking to you from Brighton. Um, I count myself a friend of your church, especially a friend of Andy and Cheryl Cottingham and several others amongst you. And so it really is, for me, it's, it's a joy. It's fun. This is fun. For me, it's fun. Um, I don't care if it isn't for you, um, but I hope it is. I hope it is. We're going to talk about disruptors. That's the series of messages that I'm involved with uh, that you've started, I guess, a few Sundays back. Disruptors, the disruption that is caused by leaders uh, who are filled with the Holy Spirit and are serving Jesus on his mission. The disruption that that brings. That's, that's kind of, I think, roughly what I'm supposed to be talking about. So uh, I'm going to talk to you from a few places in the New Testament, which talk about the work of apostles um, and Churches that are shaped by apostles' apostolic ministry. It sounds like uh, jargon, sounds like archaic words, but I hope it will be helpful for us to understand the nature of the church and the nature of the work that we do as Christians. If you're not a Christian, I also think this will be very relevant to you to help you understand Jesus more and understand what he is doing in the world and why you need him. Uh, that's, that's my plan in this short message that I'm bringing to you today. First of all, let me, let me put this in the, the context of how we sometimes understand the modern church. I've, I've sometimes come across people referring to the church in the, the New Testament, the first church, the early church, the church in the first century AD, in the few years after Jesus sent his church into the world. They've sometimes been referred to as the primitive church, the primitive church. Now, the word primitive generally means kind of unsophisticated and, uh, you know, kind of low life, you know, pond life. People that don't really, uh, you know, they, they, they've not got with the program. They're kind of, they're a bit behind. They're primitive. Uh, they're not as, they're not on the cutting edge like we are, which is ironic because in reality, the story of the church could be argued as almost the, <laughs> the other way around, or at least... When we look at the earliest church, we see a model, an example that we actually ought to aspire to. We ought to look back at the first churches and think, how can we be more like them? How can we learn from their example and kind of catch up with them almost? You know, kind of they're, they're ahead of us. And there are lots of features of that early church that, that are very different than today. Certainly the first churches were started and launched into existence by the ministry of apostles, the people that had been trained by Jesus himself and sent out. He started with 12. Now, one of the things we need to learn is that the work that apostles did can still be done. In fact, the people who these days do that kind of work can still be called apostles, in reality, because there are, there are a couple of ways in which the New Testament seems to say this. In the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4, the apostle Paul himself puts it like this, talking about Jesus, the ascended Jesus, who's gone into the, the place of the right hand of God. He's alive now in a heavenly place at God's right hand. It says this, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the, the pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith 
and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Two things. First of all, the ascended Christ gives apostles. In other words, the apostles that he started with, the 12, are only the beginning. There are more people carrying on apostolic work after Jesus goes to be with the Father because he's ascended now and still sending them. And it says he gives them until the church reaches maturity. Has the church reached maturity? No, clearly not. And so it seems appropriate to expect him to continue giving apostles to do the work of apostle, uh, apostolic work. I have only so much time today, so I'm going to just draw out three key parts of apostolic work. What is, what is the work that apostles and apostolic uh, leaders are characterized by? I'm going to put it down to three Fs just to help. Always good to do some alliteration on a Sunday morning. First of all, the first one I want to mention is forward motion, forward motion. The second one I want to mention is foundations. And then the third one I want to mention is family. Forward motion, foundations, family. These are all aspects of what apostles will bring about. This is what apostolic ministry is characterized by. This is what healthy churches are characterized by. First of all, forward motion. What I mean by that is the church, by its very nature, is on a mission. The church, in its very DNA, it is irreducibly a mission community. Any church that sees itself as uh, separate to mission is not really being a healthy church. When we start thinking of sending missionaries away to do mission somewhere else, we need to be very careful because it gives the impression that the, the church itself is not a missionary agency. But according to the Bible, the church is Jesus's primary mission agency. When he gathered the disciples in John chapter 20, after his resurrection, he spoke to them as the church, these apostles, he spoke to them as the community that he was sending. And he said, just as the Father sent me, I am sending you. Being sent is baked into the church's identity. You cannot really have church without sentness. When you meet God, you meet a missionary. He's on a mission. Jesus, when he actually chose disciples, when he, when he got people to become Christians, his language gave it away. He, he would say things like, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He said it to some fish, fishermen, some, some, some guys who were gathering nets of fish. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men right in the call, right in their conversion, right in the first invitation to become Christians, is the understanding that they will also make other Christians, that this will keep going out from, they will become on mission just as he is on mission because God is a God of mission. He is a God who sends his son and sends his spirit. And in the power of the spirit, Jesus, having been sent by the Father, sends the church. That's you and I. And so right at the very heart of our Christian identity, our church identity, what it means to be the church is to be sent on mission. Forward motion is <laughs> right at the heart of what it means to be the church. If we don't move forward, we're not really being the church. You know what they say about a shark? When a shark stops moving, it dies. It has to always be moving forward. Church is kind of like that. It's got that constant forward motion at its very core identity. And Jesus kind of speaks about this quality in the heart of God himself when he describes in Luke chapter 15 um, the, the story of this shepherd who has 
100 sheep and calls them all in and there are 99. And so there's a missing sheep. He leaves the sheep in order to find the missing sheep. And what, what this speaks of is God's prioritizing of the outsider, God's great care for those who don't yet know him. And the church needs to get used to this feature. The church, as the people of God, needs to understand that their God, their master, has a passion, a particular concern for those that don't yet belong, those that aren't yet reached, those that aren't yet part of the fold. It's, it's in the very heart of our Savior. He says, other sheep I have who are not yet of this fold, I must go and find them. I must reach them. That's in John's gospel. Jesus speaks this way frequently. He's determined to reach out to that 100th sheep. Now, we need to be reminded of that frequently because our tendency as Christians and as churches is to become insular. Left to ourselves, that is what we will do. My phone or my laptop is the same as me. It goes to a default setting. It goes to screensaver if I leave it for long enough. You leave a bunch of Christians for long enough, they will default. They will go to the screensaver of insularity and kind of playing safe and play, you know, circling the wagons and <clears throat> really building a community that is primarily about itself. That is, that is a classic tendency. And so what apostles have to keep doing is deliberately putting mission before the church, reminding the church of its ongoing outreach, not just occasions of outreach, but that outreach is at the very core of the church's constant activity and ministry. This includes even what we do when we gather even on a Sunday. We, we can easily, without realizing it, create an environment which is a little bit forbidding without meaning to. I remember someone in my church telling me that the first thing anyone ever said to them when they first, first visited us on a Sunday, the first thing anyone ever said to them was, you're in my seat. You've you, you got to understand, that's, that's, you can say that if you're the drummer, all right? You're, that's the only person that is allowed to say that, you're in my seat. It's, it, it speaks of slightly the wrong kind of culture. If, if a totally fresh face, a new person, that is the way we greet them. You're in my seat. You're disrupting my convenience. You, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm offended by your presence. It's the opposite with our master. He is delighted with an outsider. He runs to the prodigal. He seeks out the lost sheep. And so we need to learn the ways of our master, catch up with his attitude. And this, this is really what it means to be mature as a Christian. Very often, we make the mistake of imagining that maturity is to become more and more and more separated from the non-Christian world, more and more separated to the point where we actually see non-Christians as a little bit of a disruption and unpleasant. No, no, maturity, it would seem from the page of the New Testament, is when we are prepared to become inconvenienced for the sake of others. We're prepared, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, to become all things to all men in order that we might save some. We're prepared to make changes, to disrupt things. We're prepared to even disrupt church if necessary. And churches that are on mission with Jesus will often feel a little bit disruptable. It will feel often as though things get shaped and changed. And obviously COVID has, has, has done a lot of disruption anyway, but mission will make COVID look small compared to, the, to, uh, to, to in terms of how much 
disruption it brings about in life and in church life. It's not because we love disruption, it's because we love Jesus and we love his mission and we love the people he sends us to. So we care about that. And if we're mature about it, we'll understand it that way. I'm often moved when I go to the funeral of someone in my church, an older person that dies in my church. Often if you go to their funeral, you notice something about real Christian maturity. They choose all their own hymns. You know, someone who, a funeral, when it's your funeral, you get to choose the songs. And someone who's older in my church, say someone they died in their 80s and they, they get to choose their, their hymns and they're often hymns that they would have sung if they were allowed to. If it was there, if they were in charge of worship, they would have had these hymns every Sunday, but they haven't been. And so on their funeral, you think, Flip, these hymns are amazing. <laughs> they're choosing hymns that, these are really wonderful hymns with amazing words in them. But we've never had these hymns. This person has been coming to this church for decades and never got to sing their favorite songs, ever. But they didn't see that as the deal breaker. They thought, it doesn't matter. It's not about me. It's about the mission. And so I'm prepared to be here. And I always think it's a bit ironic. The one time ever in their, you know, the one time in our church that we sing their favorite hymns, they're in a coffin. It's it's maturity. It's Christian maturity. It's saying, this church isn't really about my preferences. I just want to be in a church where people are coming to Jesus where people, whether they're my age or half my age or a quarter my age, they're coming to know Jesus. That's the main thing for me. And so I'm happy if it doesn't all fit with my preferences. That takes a certain attitude of maturity that that, that churches must have. It's part of being truly apostolic. Let me move on in this though, because it's not just about the disruption of our own church experience. It's about the preparedness, the readiness to keep reaching, sending, Sometimes sending our best. We've had the privilege here in Brighton of sending out people to church plant over the years. In recent years, you've sent out many. And it's always, it seems, your best people. It's people that you just feel, we love, we love you, you're our friends, we love having you around, we miss you terribly. And what you add to us as a church is phenomenal. We, we feel we can't afford to send you, to lose you. And yet, there's something about mission that we need to prepare for with a kind of suppleness, a soft-heartedness. There's a, a friend of mine who lives in Ukraine, Andre Bondrenko, who says like this, if you don't plan for Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you get Acts chapter 8, verse 1. What he means by that is Acts chapter 1, verse 8 is where Jesus says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Jesus saying to his disciples, this thing's going global. Get ready to go. Get ready to go. Get ready to travel, to make plans, to be disrupted. Be ready for it. And then you get Acts chapter 8, verse 1, where eight chapters later, there hasn't been a lot of ministry outside Jerusalem. They've stayed actually in one place. They haven't gone to Judea, Sumeria, and the ends of the earth. And so persecution comes to the church. Disruption comes to the church as a way of Jesus saying, I did mean it when I said get out, go, and they, they get scattered. But as they get scattered because of the trouble of persecution, the gospel goes out further. And churches will sometimes go through times of disruption where we think, what is going on? What is God doing? And we can be sure that what he's doing ultimately is seeing to it that the gospel goes further. And so often we just need to catch up with, discern what he's doing, be prepared if people are moving, if, if people are getting ready to go and church plant, This is a good thing. And we need to be ready for those disruptive times. The the softer hearted we are, the suppler we are, I guess the less pain we might have 
at the point where it really is time to make changes for mission. So this is a key part of what apostolic ministry does. Second thing, and I'll just touch on these other two things uh, uh, as quick as I can. Apostles lay foundations. Apostles are concerned about the foundations of a healthy church. Every organization, every community, every family has foundations. Whether we know it or not, whether we plan them or not, whether we sort of talk about them or not, they're there. There are certain characteristics, certain, certain key pieces of the culture of every community that are often they're non-negotiables, they're deal breakers, they're things that you won't change easily because they're part of the very foundations of that community. They're the things that that community is absolutely built upon. It would not work to try and pull these things out because it's who they really are. And what you have in the foundation of a building totally affects what you can build on top. The height of a building, the, the safety of a building, the, the, the stability of a building is all to do with the foundations that have gone down first. The, the church is, is in that respect just the same as any community. It has certain foundations. And Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He says, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Paul is, is it seems to me, obsessively focused on the centrality of Jesus Christ as the true foundation of a healthy church. The good news of who Jesus is and what he came to do in his life and death and resurrection and what he does now at the right hand of the Father. This is Paul's absolute focus. It is his priority. It is his constant obsession. And what he does in laying foundations in churches is he constantly helps them to remember the centrality and the sufficiency of their saviour, Jesus, the one that he first preached to them. Especially, most of his letters are written to churches that he started through his own preaching. And so you can get an idea of what it was that he was getting at. What are the foundations? What are his core concerns? What I notice with Paul is that it isn't a great deal of teaching in his letters about what the rules are. There's some instructions. There are some key things he wants them to do and to stop doing. But he barely goes a word without talking about the centrality of Jesus. And when he's bringing instructions, he doesn't simply say, well, here are the rules. I told you what the rules are. Here, here, if you want to be a Christian, here are the rules. There's the rule book. He, he, he instead, what he keeps doing is he brings them back to the good news of Jesus. He keeps saying to them, well, you're asking me about money. You're asking me about the use of power. You're asking me about families, husbands, wives, leadership in the church. You're asking me about sex and sexual relationships. You're asking me about how to submit to rulers and politicians. All of these many aspects of an ordinary life that we in the 21st century have to deal with just as much, Paul will teach about all of these things by bringing them back into relationship to the issue, who is Jesus? What has Jesus done through his life and death and resurrection? That's what he constantly does. He talks about money, talks about sex, talks about power. It all comes back to, let's talk about Jesus. Let's talk about him. And so what he's doing is he's not simply saying, well, here are the rules. As long as you obey the rules, you're okay. He's saying, no, I want you to start thinking carefully about how this subject is affected by the truth about Jesus 
Now, there are some rules that come out of that, but he always wants to start with the clarity about Jesus. Why? Because he's an apostle. <laughs> he's utterly focused on Christ and Christ as the true foundation for every church. His concern is that there should be communities scattered around the world that are truly built on the glorious revelation of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done and that they're filled with the spirit of Jesus, that they stand out in this world, this world of black and white, they stand out in full colour. They stand out like a glorious trophy. They stand out like a glorious beacon, like a glorious bright light. They, they stand out magnificently in this passing world as an eternal, immortal people, raised with Christ, alive with him by his spirit. And his, his concern as an apostle is, I want you to always be aware of Jesus as the first and most important thing. Bring them back to Christ keeping him central. That is what apostles will keep doing. That will affect the way that we teach about so many things in church life. We don't simply say, well, here's how to behave as a Christian. That's not enough. That's not enough. It won't actually, it won't bring life. It won't multiply. What people need is to know Jesus, to know the, 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 the life, the, the forgiveness, the joy, the hope that's found in him, not just when they become Christians, but as a way to live in an ongoing way. This is the foundational thing. And apostles are concerned about foundations. And if necessary, they'll fight for those foundations. The values that we have in our church life, they're not just the things on our website. They're the things we suffer for. And the things we're prepared to lose people for because we keep the gospel so central. So we teach on things with passion and concern because we know that we must fight for the gospel. We must guard the gospel. We must contend for the gospel, make sure that it's truly the central foundation of the church. Third and final thing, let me just briefly touch on it, family. Apostles nurture family in the church. The way Paul talks even about himself is interesting. He says to the, the church in Corinth in the next chapter, chapter four of that first letter, you have many guides, but you don't have many fathers. I, I've become your father in the spirit, in Christ. I've become your father, which means we are in a, in a much more familial kind of relationship in church life. Those who lead you and those who lead in, across churches and serve churches are looking at their best when they're doing it biblically to nurture an atmosphere of family. It's interesting to me that Paul talks about himself and Timothy in this way when he says in, in the same letter, that's why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. I'm sending you Timothy, he's my child. I, want, I don't want you just to have a, a delegation. I don't just want you to have a textbook. I want you to have my, my child. <laughs> and now Timothy was his spiritual child. It wasn't physically his child, not biologically, but Timothy was the person who knew him the best, his, his trainee protege but he talks to him as he's a son to him he's my son he's my child I'm sending you my child because I want someone who knows my ways not just someone who knows the rules I don't just want to send you staff you know churches need staff you know big organizations need some paid employees I get that that's necessary but it's not about staff it's about family it's about people who who've been brought into a sense of belonging a sense of being known and a sense of knowing, a sense of being able to say, yeah, I, I know what God, I know because I know my spiritual mum and dad. I know, I know the family here. I understand the ways here. I've caught, caught up in something that feels like home to me. It, it really does. 
it's fatherly, it's motherly, it's brotherly, it's sisterly. And we care about each other in that kind of way and we catch the same values and the same passions and the same yearnings and the same, the same concerns, not because, uh, well, for, because of nothing less than a genuine joint ownership of the, of the same family heartbeat, if you like. So Paul, Paul is using interesting language when he says, my ways. The Bible says in Psalm 103 that God made known his deeds to his people Israel and his ways to Moses. There's a certain kind of privilege, I suppose, given to people who get close to someone. They get to know not just their deeds, they don't just get to read the, the paper about it later. They get to know their ways. They get to spend time. They get to, to, to maybe travel together or understand the heart behind things. Let me urge you, if you're new in City Church, or even if you're not new, you've been part of it for a while, but you're just kind of on the fringes. You, you feel like, yeah, I think I, I like this church. I, it's better than the other churches that I've tried. Or, you know, I like the website. Or, they, yeah, they're quite nice. There's some nice people there. I'm quite attracted to some of the people there. Yeah, there are all kinds of reasons that you might be in a church. But I would urge you to press in further. I would urge you to get to know the ways of those who are spiritually responsible there. Those who God has raised up to care for the church, they're precious people. And there are things that you won't just learn just by you know, textbook knowledge. You'll learn something of their heart if you get to know them, you get to pray with them, you get to ask them questions occasionally. Maybe it's not the elders, it's people who, who serve the elders. It's people across the church who've got further than you in their Christian life. We're family. Get to know people's ways. Press in and get to know. And then as you get to do that, you'll find the Holy Spirit might also call you and send you. The, the atmosphere is both family, connecting and belonging, but also sending. And it's beautiful because when Paul says, I'm sending you my child, in effect, he's just echoing his own master, his own father in heaven who did the very same thing. God so loved the world that he gave his son. He sent his son. It's what kind of God he is. He's the one who's operating very much in that kind of fatherly way. The way he shows his love to us is not just by reminding us of our bad behavior and trying to make us change our behavior. Maybe you thought of God as exactly like that. You can imagine God being the kind of God who really is there just to try and make you a better person. You, you work harder, you do things for him, you give things to him. He, he sucks the life out of you. That's what God's there for, for most of us. That's how we imagine him. He's there to take from us, to have things from us. We're obliged to give him things. In the end, we, we'll never be able to give him enough. We'll just be exhausted. No, the God of the Bible is the one who gives, who has given. When we don't deserve it, when we are obliged to him, Actually, he gives and he gives on our behalf. He does everything. His son has lived the life we should have lived and died the death that we deserved. And he's risen from the dead now to plead for us, to, to be our advocate if we will come to him. Maybe today is the day some of you become a Christian if you've never done that before. Maybe you've never thought of the God of the Bible as a kind, giving God, a family God, if you like, a father. But that's the very God that we worship. Let me just pray. Thank you, Lord, that though you do disrupt and you do send and you do call us to a great journey of change and challenge, you do it with a loving, fatherly heart. And we pray, teach us to be that kind of a community, responsive, ready, supple, on mission, built with healthy foundations on the gospel of Jesus Christ, not on our good works, but on your works. 
And we pray, Lord, that, that you would help us to genuinely be that family to one another. In Jesus' name.